When behind a glass, Jerry says, Oh! <laughs> Big band version? Enter Sandman. Nice. Beauty. Yeah. When he latches onto a concept, he really goes big, doesn't he? Oh, there's, who's singing? It's Pat Boone. It is not. I tuck you in warm within, keep you free from sin. Till the Sandman comes. Wow. I love I'm it. Trying to square that circle. Pat Boone alive when that song was even written originally. It's almost like a time machine. How did he pull that off? Very impressive. Yeah, he had a whole uh, album called No More Mr. Nice Guy in a Metal Mood. Wow. Did he do No More Mr. Nice Guy? Yeah, he did. <laughs> All right. I think we have a running theme throughout the show. We want to hear more of Pat Boone from Behind the Glass, Jerry. I will always play more Pat Boone. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, partner. Well, uh, happy re- Thursday. Yeah, the reason why Jerry's playing that is uh, there's a sleepwalking story that caught your attention, Greg. Well, I, I, I think uh, by extension, it's caught all of our attention. Christian O'Mell actually read it out loud. A Pennsylvania middle school canceled classes after a sleepwalking student was found inside the building. State police say the seventh grade student called 911 around 2.30 a.m. Wednesday to report he was inside Wendover Middle School in Hempfield Township. The student told authorities he'd been sleepwalking and woke up inside the school. Police say the student entered the school through a window, which is where it kind kind of went sideways for me, yep. and wandered around for about 15 minutes. Police say the student lives about four miles from the school, and I was kind of guffawing the whole idea of really four miles. He went in through a window, and you said, hey, hold on, G-Mac. I used to sleepwalk. I did. Now, I never did anything crazy like this. I, would, when it, I think it stopped by the time I was 10 or 11. Uh, although I think that there may still be bouts of it, just uh, like probably a couple times in the last decade. But when I was a kid, uh, apparently I would have co- complete conversations with my mom. I walk down the stairs and start talking to my mom, and then she'd I'd say something and she'd realize, oh, the lights are on, but no one's home, and uh, she'd say, Brad, you're sleepwalking. Just go to bed. And this is again. This I don't have any memory of, of this. Course of course you don't. There was another time where I got up. When I was a kid, and we uh, we had this uh, clothes hamper for the a laundry hamper, and I guess I went to the washroom to to go number one, as they say. But instead of facing the toilet, I was facing the clothes hamper. Yeah, that's called intoxication. Uh, I, I was eight. The, oh, eight. Okay. <laughs> and my, uh, my again, mom says, Brett, I think you're sleepwalking. Turn around. Uh, so I used to do stuff like this, All and then right. I Googled. All right. I just Googled crazy sleepwalking stories, and I found uh, an article, a bunch of articles, but what, this one in particular is on womenshealthmag.com, and there's one story here where uh, she says, I woke up once uh, driving and crying down My the highway. God. <laughs> Uh, another lady talking about how she had, once I was sleepwalking, I got a piece of glass in my foot, pulled it out, stuck a paper towel to the bleeding wound, went back to sleep, only to find a bloody paper towel in my bed in the morning. And another time I woke up as I was opening my front door to a very large man yelling outside huh. my apartment. He was yelling at someone on his phone. When I opened the door, he was like four feet from me. He just looked at me weird and walked away. 
Thank God, that's when I realized I should start deadbolting my door at night. That is unreal. Okay, I, you know, I, I try not to be super judgmental. It's tough for me at times. Uh, this sounded really <laughs> impossible. Maybe it's not. Yeah, Maybe it, it's not. It's certainly suspicious, and I understand that. 2.30 in the morning, he's gone into a school through a window. What's he doing in the school? But we can't <clears throat> discount the possibility that he was sleepwalking because people do crazy things when they're sleepwalking. All right, your sleepwalking story, 780-6868, or shoot us an email, gmac at cjob.com or brett at cjob.com. Just put sleepwalking in the subject line if you'd be so kind. Yeah, and I'm just trying, there was another one here. Um, I have sexsomnia. Oh, I've heard nope. that. Uh, you know what? I, I can't read the rest of that story. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a defense in 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 uh, sexual assault trials. That this has been an, an actual thing that happens to some people. They have they have sex in their sleep. Wow! And sometimes it's unwanted and zero permission given, uh, even between spouses it wow. has turned uh, ugly over the years so uh yeah i would like to hear your experiences this just seems you know the pieces of the puzzle they fit but this whole idea of going through a window and just you know i, I don't know i think there's a lot of your subconscious that has to be in in play here and what would make it go to a window i could see if 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 they found the guy lying down on the ground with a broken nose or something cuz he tried to walk through the front door of the school i get that but going to the whole getting in through a window thing just eh, just makes it feel it, it feels like I've done something wrong. How am I going to get out of this one? Oh, for sure. It, it's certainly suspicious, but people do crazy. Th- I've heard stories of people. Uh, I remember watching a, like a 2020 kind of show and they they did a report on sleepwalking and some of the, the, the superhuman acts that people have performed in their sleepwalking, pulling doors off of hinges. Apparently when you're sleepwalking, there's a little bit of extra strength that comes into play, perhaps because you're not conscious, right? You're just running on whether it's instinct or what have you. Uh, by the way, we just have some uh, breaking news from Pyeongchang, from Gangneung, Korea. And the Republic of, uh, let's see, Canada's short track speed skating team has captured bronze in the men's 5,000 meter relay final in Pyeongchang. So Christian O'Mel will have more on all the Olympic happenings coming up at 625. 5,000 meters sounds like such a contradictory sort of distance to be doing in short track. Yeah. Really? Just leave that to the long track? Anyway, that's... They gotta go around the track 45 times. I think that's just... That, now that's that's silly. Draw the line at about 1,000 <laughs> meters. You don't need to go any further than that. Team Canada, Team USA, women's hockey gold medal game last night started at 10-10 last night, so... I didn't see one second of that game, but it was one for the ages by all accounts. Christian O'Mel stayed up until 1.30 this morning, so maybe he will be sleepwalking at some point today here on 680 CJOB. And coming up next, one of my favorite films of all time is Beetlejuice. Well, up next, we're going to tell you about Beet Juice and how the city is putting it to creative use. Now, initially, I was a little worried that they were crunching up those expensive beat headphones.
Oh, and spreading them on the Beat city street. Yeah, we don't want that. <laughs> that would be an incredible waste of money. Mackling and McGarry in the morning. We're talking about slick roads and sandy, salty streets here in the city of Winnipeg. It can often make for a bleak combination, but a recent pilot project in Winnipeg has added a little color to the roads. Global News reporter Amber McGookin explains. It looks like coffee and has the consistency of oil, but it helps drivers beat slippery streets. It's proven to be very effective. We can use it in colder temperatures, so we're using it up to minus 30. Since 2015, the city has been conducting a pilot project using beet juice to replace some of the salt and sand used on city roads. We do use it as preventative, so yes, it does help the drivers. And also when we use it for pre-wetting, it helps for our product to stay on the roadway. Right now, the city only uses the beet product on the east side of the city, but the pilot project has been going so well, they're looking to expand it. We have two other operational yards, one in the south area and one in the north area, and we would be looking to expand there. The formula on city streets is a mixture, half beet juice and half a combination of water and salt. The raw beet juice is thick and dark, but the mixture the city makes is more runny and clear. But for drivers, they have one big concern. The wear and tear on a vehicle, the, the effects that a sand, sand does to the car and salt does to the car. It might cut down on the erosion of cars for the rust. But with less salt and sand, the city says it'll be less corrosive. Amber McGookin, Global News. Now behind the glass, Jerry, this is, uh, we often, you often come on and say, oh, we've been doing that and we were doing that in southern Ontario a long time ago. You make me sound like a jerk. Well, you're <laughs> from southern Ontario. Well, you, well, you are. <laughs> Geography dictates, bud. Well, sorry for your, yeah. So you've been doing this in southern Ontario for a while. Yeah, I can remember when I first started driving. So when I was 16, I remember they're talking about doing it on Highway 11, which is just north of Toronto. They, they were doing it back then. Yeah, wow. I, I guess we have this sense that because our winters are so extreme here and get so cold, that there must be a trick, right? That it must be different here, even though they're doing it in, I know they've been doing it in New Jersey forever. And, and on the Eastern seaboard in particular, this has been something they've been doing for a very long time. But I, I suppose there may see, be some legitimacy to making sure that it works in our extreme weather in our extreme winter conditions. Well, yeah, and if you can use a natural thing that, or that's creative or even an unnatural. I remember when we were when we worked at uh when I worked at Taco Bell when I was a teenager, one of my buddies would suggest uh, because we had this big pothole in front of the restaurant, it was the one at 1536 Regent, which is now a credit union. He said we should use the refried beans <laughs> to Before fill the pothole. Refried beans, that would work. I could th that's actually probably the best use of refried beans, in my opinion. Yeah, because like any food, right, it's great when it's fresh, but it, you let it sit for 10, 15 minutes, and it turns into this almost rock-hard paste. But still somewhat malleable, right? Yeah, <laughs> so dump that into the pothole. <laughs> Be uh, juiced to, for the ice and... Refried beans for the pot. Coming soon to Empress Street in Winnipeg. Uh, if you see <laughs> refried beans, don't put sour cream on it or uh, grab a tortilla. We may be conducting an experiment here on Mackling and McGarry. The, the 2018 Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang will be over in just a few days. It feels like they just started. Jeff Semple has been in Korea since before the games began, and Jeff joins us now. Good uh, evening, Jeff. 
Yes, good evening. It's uh, just after 9.30 in the evening here, Thursday evening, and it does not feel like the game's just begun. Oh, okay. Well, fair <laughs> enough uh, for you who's been <laughs> covering this uh, a.m. to p.m., and I'm sure with the uh, crazy time difference that we're all just getting used to just in time for the games to be over, many of us are still uh, dealing with the heartbreak of uh, Team Canada's loss, the women's uh, hockey team last night losing in a shootout to Team U.S. Essay, even though we did pick up a silver, uh, it's feels it feels a little uh, bittersweet or sweet and bitter, I suppose. Uh, you were at the game last night. Tell us a, a little bit about the atmosphere and the uh, culmination of four years, of, well, twenty years for the American women, right? Uh, not winning a gold medal since uh, N- Nagano in nineteen ninety eight against Team Canada. Yeah, that's right. A 20-year drought for them. And so I suppose they were due, if you want to give them that. But the, uh, the atmosphere inside the arena was pretty electric, though I have to say, I mean, it has been kind of a hallmark of these games. There were a lot of empty seats, uh, even still at that arena. But the fans who were there were certainly making up for those empty seats with these competing chants of Go Canada Go versus USA. It was it was very electric inside. And I think, you know, that, that American crowd might have been a little bit louder and perhaps that game the American team the boost they needed because you know even halfway through the third period guys it looked like the Canadian women might just cruise to what would have been their fifth straight gold medal against their arch rivals the Americans the only these are the only two teams who have ever won a gold medal in women's Olympic hockey and you know four years after the heartbreak that the Americans endured in Sochi remember where we came from behind and won in overtime well the Americans got revenge and redemption that's for sure it, you know they, they came back with a goal at with about seven minutes left in the third period. That forced the overtime, which solved nothing, so we went into shootouts. That needed even an extra round, and finally the Americans potting the winner. And, uh, you know, if there was any consolation, guys, uh, to this loss, it might be that video of Scott Moyer in the audience. Um, I don't know if you've seen this, but the you know, Scott Moyer, in case you've been living under a rock, is that figure skater who just became the most uh, decorated Olympic figure skater in history, along with his partner, Tessa Virtue. And he was spotted in the crowd with a beer in one hand, uh, Canadian toucan, just giving it to the referee and <laughs> yelling, are you kidding me? Wake up. And so people have now been tweeting that image with the hashtag Heritage Minute, um, Love it. you know, suggesting he might be, you know, a good prime minister one day. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> let's call that a silver lining for our silver medal. Now, Jeff, uh, one of the, you, I'm glad you mentioned this. You mentioned the hallmark of these games is empty seats. I made that observation last week and was wondering if if I was out to lunch on that. But you're saying that this is something that has is is, is it kind of plagued these games? Is that too strong of language? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it depends on the events, but. Um and South Koreans just aren't interested in hockey. I mean, you know, we, we did a report earlier this week on the fact that they're, be, they're kind of waking up to the sport a little bit more, in part because there are a lot of Canadians now playing for Team South Korea in the Asian League. But, you know, South Koreans are very into speed skating, so the speed skating events tend to be very well attended. Same with figure skating. But, yeah, hockey just has not been particularly well attended, and there were empty seats at this game, believe it or not, a gold medal game against, you know, Team Canada, Team USA, you think would be a hot ticket. Um, now, it's, and it's a bit of a, you know, it's a tough one because the Olympic organizers are saying, you know, they had like 90% of their tickets sold. Uh, but they've also, we're hearing reports about the fact that they, they heavily discounted some of these tickets to give them away to local South Koreans to try and encourage them to come out. They've also been busing school groups in reportedly to try and, 
you know, fill some of these empty seats. So the, the numbers don't necessarily jive with the pictures in terms of the empty seats that we've been seeing. But I, I wouldn't say it's, it's plagued the entire games, but some events, including hockey, in, have certainly been noticeably absent in the stands. Norway leading the medal standings with 35 medals. Then it's kind of a three-way race for number two. Germany with 25, Canada now at 24, and the United States sort of nipping at the heels of Canada at 21. Before we let you go here, we've got about 30 seconds, I think, Jeff. Is a shootout any way to solve a game like the one that was played last wow. night? We want to get your opinion on this. Yeah, you do, do you? I mean, I'll you know I'll leave that to the hockey experts, but I you know it. I mean, certainly on this side of the of, of the game, I would say no, it's not a fair way to uh, to win to solve this problem. But that's you know maybe I'm just being a sore loser. But I think we've heard that already from the Canadians giving interviews after the game that it's just unfortunate. I mean, they you know they they spent four years building up to this and to have it solved in in that fashion, I think is you know. It, what probably won't sit well with them and, or nor a lot of Canadians, but if the shoe was on the other foot and we had the gold medal or we're hanging around our necks, maybe we'd feel a little differently. <laughs> Jeff Semple, always keeping it real. We appreciate your time, sir. Great to be with you. Thanks, guys. Jeff Semple joining us from Pyeongchang, South Korea. He is, of course, Global News Europe Bureau Chief. I have, while Jeff was talking here, I Googled Scott Moyer yelling at ref, and sure enough, tons of videos of him. He's standing up. He's standing uh, and he's got his arms outstretched, beer in his right hand, and he really is, just as Jeff described, giving it to the refs, yelling, are you kidding me? Wake up! So good for him. Yeah, he looks uh, very, very Canadian with that beer in hand, with the toque on his head, with the, what do you call that thing on the top of the toque? Is that a palm? or a Pom-pom. Pom-pom, yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Um, so that's amusing. And the shootout debate. I, I remember when they first introduced the shootout in the, the the North American Ice Hockey League, as I like to call it. And boy, there was a controversy among hockey purists. Without question. Now that's in a regular season game. In playoffs, they still play to the bitter end. We know games that go till midnight and beyond, two, three, sometimes four overtime periods in the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. Shanalee Vidal, Christian Omel, Jeff Braun, and of course the omnipresent behind the glass jury in studio. We're having coffee and we're talking about Canada's gold medal streak in Olympic women's hockey is over. Ending early this morning with a gut-wrenching shootout loss to the rival Americans at the Pyeongchang Winter Games. We just visited with Jeff Semple from Global News, who is over in Pyeongchang. After a 20-minute overtime period, couldn't break a 2-2 tie. It came down to the shootout. And Jocelyn Lamoureux-Davidson scored the winner in the sixth round. Sixth round for a 3-2 victory that ended that 20-year drought. Canadians wept on the ice as they accepted their silver medals. No final had ever been decided by a shootout. So today we're having coffee talking. Do you think it was fair for the winner to be decided by a shootout? And Christian O'Mell, I know you're, well, you and Mackling are the the most avid of sportsing fans in this room. So uh, let's start with you, though, Christian. What do you think of the fact that this game, a gold medal final, ended in shootout? I think it's a travesty, Brad yeah. McGarry. I think it's totally, totally unsatisfying. And we said this a couple years ago when the World Juniors was decided in a shootout between the U.S. and Canada after one of the best 20-minute periods of hockey anyone's ever seen at any level. And then it's, oh, we have to just have a skills competition now to decide this? It's something that at the juniors I get it. But here at the Olympics, you're four on four for 20 minutes. That should usually be enough to decide it. 
it's not like the anyone else needs to use this ice tonight, right? Let's just go to three on three. So they they're five and five throughout the game, and, and then, then four on four for twenty minutes, okay. which is unlike the NHL. But usually that's enough to decide it. Like you said, this hadn't been a problem before. This is the first time in women's that it had been decided by a shootout. We all remember '94 when Peter Forsberg won it in a shootout for Sweden Thanks against for in the men. Me. Well, yes, it's of course, we, all, we all remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's the number one memory of my life. <laughs> It was commemorated on a postage stamp in Sweden, okay? <laughs> People remember it. But I, my point is that it just seems, and the World Cup soccer is the same thing, to have, you know, all these four years of training and emotions come down to a shootout. Now, I know in curling, right, you're, you're never going to Have play. a draw to the button no, for the win. No, but you're never going to play more than one extra end. I, sure. You know, the, the, I mean, unless something disastrous happens on a final rock and a draw to the open house for the, the game-winning point or something silly like that where you would just mysteriously have a, a blank end and an extra end. It so that It does happen, but it, it, it's beyond unusual. Right. Whereas hockey in the NHL, you can be playing usual. for four hours of overtime. Correct, and you the mentioned playoffs. the fact that they don't need this building, but there are television considerations. It was one thirty in the morning. I understand. I'm trying to get into the mind of the people that make these decisions. Jeff? Uh, yeah, they had 20 minutes to work it out in overtime. I don't mind that they go to a shootout after that. They at least played one overtime period. I mean, I don't think winning a silver medal is a travesty, so. No, I don't either. <laughs> I was that was hyperbole, but I just think that let them decide it with acting. They did, with shooting <sighs> a puck at a goalie, yeah, which is the point of hockey anyways. <laughs> You know what? It's tough to argue with that logic. He's really but not it is wrong. A, really a, a different version of the game. And this is a great text we just got at uh, 204-780-6868. Growing up playing hockey, coaches always told us anyone can win in shootouts. It's our job to make sure it doesn't get there. Well, and USA was the better team in that game. Well, so there you go. So maybe Canada had an opportunity with the flip of a to coin. steal it. Shanalee Vidal, we know that you're an official in another sport that you obviously competed in once upon a time. In roller derby, is there such a thing as uh, the equivalent of a shootout, or do you modify the game somewhat in order to determine a winner? Oh, no, we don't have a... Have- a shootout. Yeah, we modify the game when you get, do get an overtime jam, which are actually very rare in roller derby because uh, you know the point differential can be very vast. How so, does one score points in roller derby? Well, because you have the the jammers from each team. They wear the stars in their helmets, and they have they're in the pack, and you have uh, you have your blockers, and they have to skate around the track once past everybody. And so the person who breaks the pack first becomes lead, and they have the opportunity to call off the, the two-minute jam if I'm they... I'm furiously taking notes here. If they so <laughs> desire. And so whenever they go around again they and they pass uh, an opposing player, they get a point for every opposing player. They you have to a, a lap a, a player yeah, on the yeah. opposing so team. Yeah, like, yeah. So let's say I'm 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 the lead jammer, and, I, and I'm ahead of uh, Brett, who's also a jammer, and I just passed some skaters, and I don't want Brett getting some points, so I'm going to call it off, right? So in an, But in an overtime jam, if you do get... Uh, an, an, a, it's a very exciting thing, because what happens is nobody gets to be lead jammer at all. It's a it's a full two-minute jam. Nobody's able to call it off. A two-minute jam. A two-minute jam, Love and it. you it's start... Like a dance-off. 
and you start scoring points right off the hop. So as soon as that whistle blows, you have the potential to score points as soon as you pass Gator. So it's very fast. It's not. We're not having a full period, right? We're not having a full yeah. Uh, yeah. 30-minute period. We're having two minutes. And then, oh, we need another two minutes and another two minutes and another two minutes until a winner is decided. There can be no ties. Right, and so it's not like uh, you're you're tossing elbow pads to see who can throw an elbow pad further. You're <laughs> you're you're continuing a modified version of the game. Jerry, have you got a take on this? I just think it's ridiculous that uh, it's a team sport. Therefore, the team should win or lose, not one or two pe- people. I mean that that that's what it comes down to to me. I mean it shouldn't be one person on one person. It should be a team. Yeah, we have another text message here uh, from somebody who says the World Cup of Soccer has been finished like this for years. I don't believe you get the best game after a whole pile of extra periods. It was a good run. Had to end sooner or later. If we won, if we won, most people probably wouldn't even give this conversation a second look. It's true. It's true. We're we're just bitter because we lost, I think. No, I'm not. I've, I'm firmly saying that I, I had the thought early in the overtime. I thought, this is going to go to a shootout. It's not going to be a fair way to decide it. I don't... It, honestly... Not fair. It's that they both teams have the same rules. It's I very get that. fair. No, I just mean it from a... It's just unsatisfying for the... You just don't like it. I, and I yeah, think, I don't like it, clearly. And, and I think the problem, too, is like when you have two teams that are so good, so well-matched, that they can't they can't even score on each other, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't 0-0. Zero, it's, zero, it's, well, in that in that overtime period, sure, right? No, sure. it, and, and they're just so well-matched, and they're like, okay, well, everybody's got to go home, so we got to do something, <laughs> I don't know. you know? I, I, it, just, it just seems odd. I'm with Jeff on cool. this, the couch potatoes assemble on this one. <laughs> the uh, I don't like watching a game that goes to, let's say I invest my Myself in a, a game and I spend two and a half, three hours. Right. And then it goes to overtime. And then it goes to double overtime. You're getting your money And then worth. it goes to triple overtime. Well, now it's two in the morning. I got to go to bed sooner or later. So I got to turn it off. So I kind of like, I'm, I'm with Jeff. If they can't decide it in three periods and they can't decide it in overtime, then go to the shootout. Regardless of whether or not it is fair or if you should decide it, the shootout is an exciting moment in sports, it was super especially tense. when it goes six rounds. And there was an well, 11 here, round it, shootout in the, yeah. the NHL Which, on the weekend. How about this? Would you prefer what happened happened or it ends after the first overtime? They both get gold medals. Whoever won the bronze gets the silver. Whoever was fourth gets the bronze. Nah. Tie game. By the way, Brett, in international, it's five rounds. Okay. So there was only like one extra shooter. So it's, it's still, still, exci- it's still it's, exciting yeah. on its own merit. Here's one from Scott. Hockey Silver, why, did, why didn't they allow a tie? They do in other sports. See? Why didn't they take the stats into account? Canada had no losses like other sports. Why don't we just have a shootout competition? Eliminate the hockey part. <laughs> or why don't we just pull the winner's name out of a hat and then we could save all the tens of millions of dollars of putting on the Olympics Why don't we just the cancel the place? Olympics in How the first separate, place? We have the regular hockey event, but we have a separate hockey event, which is just a shootout. Each country gets five guys with sticks and why one we, goalie. And why then, don't we uh, get judges to like uh, like the other sports? Yeah, we get points for spins and jumps. That'd be cool. Can All you right. can we just circle back? You said you you <laughs> said that uh, you corrected me on something there, Christian. That it's only five rounds. Uh, well, so shoot- normally an NHL shootout would be three rounds. Okay, and then an NHL or international, it's five. And then after the five, you can send a, sh- a shooter that's already shot out as many times as you want that didn't come to that. 
because it so was after the, the fifth round, it's just another additional one, skaters just, until yes. it's sudden death at that point, quote unquote. One-offs. So USA scored, Canada didn't. It's over. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So and here's the counter argument to to what Jeff and I have been saying: if they can't decide it in three periods, and then they can't decide it in overtime, and then they go to a shootout that takes multiple rounds. Why not just have the another overtime period? Mm, another five it, minutes, yeah. another ten minutes. Why not, eh? You know, it, it, maybe after the fifth shootout round, it goes to a hockey fight. <laughs> Canada, <laughs> goes to roller derby on ice. Canada would win every <laughs> single time. Uh, Darren says they should just draw straws to determine a winner. <laughs> to me, that's what a shootout is. There you go. Yeah. Well, you can send us your feedback. You're already doing it. 204-780-6868 is the number to text. And you can email brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com. Greg, what have you just spotted? Why not a random test or unrelated skill like spring a spelling bee on them or a (laughs) dance-off? Spelling bee? Have you ever watched the script spelling bee? It's amazing television. It's exciting. (laughs) You learn so many words. Shanalee Vidal, thank you. Christian O'Mal, Jeff Braun, Behind the Glass, Jerry. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for all your feedback so far at 204-780-6868. We're getting... Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Is this more crazy? <laughs> hey, but that's how it goes. <laughs> Yes. Millions of people living as foes. Maybe it's not too late to learn how to love and forget how to hate. Mental wounds not healing, life's a bitter shame. I'm going off the rails on a crazy train. Well, while that was playing, I thought, I recognize this, I recognize this, it's going to come to me, I'm just going to keep talking until it does. But I couldn't stop laughing. But we're getting all sorts of feedback. We've had feedback on sleepwalking, weird sleepwalking stories, feedback on the beet juice that the city wants to use on the streets, and as well, the shootout. An email here at brett at cjob.com and to gmac at cjob.com. Shootouts. Regarding the uh, gold medal game where the women lost to USNA, Jeff says they suck. That's uh, really all you really need to say out of that. Doesn't like the shootout. They should all get participation ribbons. 204-780-6868. We are always amused by your take on these things. Uh, The winner so far, I think, though, was to spring the spelling bee on them or some other uh, various completely unrelated tasks to hockey in order to sort this thing out. Uh, keep them coming, 780-6868 or an email to brett at cgob.com or gmac at cgob.com. Every single day, a driver in this province is ticketed for failing to move over when they see a police officer on the side of the road. The law is simple, but despite repeated warnings, Manitoba RCMP say they ticket 625 people last year for failing to move over and give officers or tow truck drivers room to do their jobs. 
I'm surprised they gave out that many tickets. Glad they did. Keep in mind that number is just the drivers they're able to stop and ticket. The law is there to prevent people from getting hurt and not just first responders. That is exactly why RCMP released a video of a close call they hope will finally send the message. Global News reporter Zara Premji tells us more. It's activated when I activate the lights. For Sergeant Mark Hume, his job as an RCMP officer comes with some obvious risks. We should be worried about getting shot or stabbed, not to run over the side of the road for a basic traffic stop. But during a regular traffic stop on Saturday night... I could have been killed easily. He had pulled over a vehicle on Highway 1 just outside Carberry, and another car saw his flashing lights, slowed down and moved over. The next vehicle behind him didn't slow down at all. So it actually came up behind the uh, first vehicle and almost rear-ended it, and the driver lost control while braking so hard and uh, swerved a few times. It easily could have went the other way, and they, and they could have rear-ended me and either pinned me. The person driving the car that was nearly hit says the speeding driver endangered a lot of lives. It's not only just our family, it's, it's also the family of the fire department, the RCMP, the uh, ambulance. Everybody was involved over... One, one person speeding. While everyone came out of this injury free, RCMP are pleading with drivers to just simply use common sense. So that few feet that we have on the side of the road is our workplace. So if you can imagine in your workplace, if somebody is racing by you three feet away, uh, you know, a dozen times a day. Their message is simple. Slow down and move over or you could take a life. Zara Premji, Global News. Now, Winnipeg police say close calls happen to its officers daily as well. Here's Inspector Gord Spotto. Recently, we had um, a member who pulled over a vehicle, knew he had to be careful. He just opened the door a crack uh, to look out and make sure traffic was clear. And that vehicle actually hit the partially open door and broke off the mirror. Uh, had the member stepped out, uh, he would have been probably killed. Every time you tra- had a traffic stop, you obviously are careful of the traffic, but to have to stand at your vehicle on a multi-lane highway and wait for traffic to clear doesn't meet with the legislation. Winnipeg Police Inspector Gord Spado. Again, it's the law to change lanes when you're passing a vehicle with emergency lights on. If the speed limit is less than 60 kilometers an hour, then you have to slow down to 40 If the speed limit is higher than 80, you must reduce your speed to 60 kilometers per hour. Fines range, get this, Brett, from $300 to $2,000, all with demerits attached to the fines. You could also face a one-year driving suspension. I would much rather police put their efforts into stopping drivers that ignore this law than some of the other rules and laws they spend their time tagging us with. Anybody that ignores this law is a very dangerous driver, not only to themselves, but to others around them. I don't understand how they're not putting cameras on emergency vehicles in order to, at the very least, if you can't give someone a ticket for doing this based on a camera, can you not knock on their door, look them eye to eye and say, this is what I do for a living? We caught you doing 100 passing a police car on the perimeter highway. You didn't even change lanes. Next time... It's a $2,000 ticket, something similar, so people get the message on this. Feels as though it's been a long wait, but we are finally expecting to see the weather warm up a bit. And Brett, I think that uh, only in Manitoba do you consider minus single-digit temperatures, single-digit temperatures, either side of zero in single digits. We're kind of cool with that. 
at this time of year. Yeah, we've talked to people in the Olympics who said, oh, it's cold, it's minus nine. (laughs) (laughs) But if we're here in Winnipeg, it's a celebration. So to tell us if this trend might last, we are joined by David Phillips, who is Senior Climatologist for Environment Canada, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Good morning to you, David. Guys, nice to be with you. You know, when I I often when I go out west, what surprises me, it kind of makes uh, make, amuses me, is that when people uh, in the winter time they forget the minus sign. They say it's 23 out today, or it's 31, <laughs> and you think, oh, uh, but why would you waste your breath? Because you know. <laughs> and so when it gets a single digit, you got to have to add that 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 sign. You got to know whether it's minus three or plus three. And uh, but you guys are right. You're not greedy. You're just so elated when you get single digit temperatures at this time of the year and uh, and that's what we're seeing this this week uh, i mean normal highs for this time should be about minus six in uh, in winnipeg for the last week of february and we're going to see the weekend uh, minus three minus four minus one monday for a high so i i think that's glorious and lots of sunshine and guys you know i, I like to, to to mention to the fact that in the sunshine you can add another seven eight degrees to the to the feel like temperature so you walk along the uh uh, the streets of uh, Winnipeg, and instead of being minus one, it could really feel more like plus six. I like the way you, you you think, David. Maybe we need a real feel on the other side of the equation when we're talking about temperature, not just a wind chill factor. Uh, talk about the fact that we had one of the best summers we've ever had. I think, David, you called uh, Manitoba the, the champion of summers across Canada yeah. this past year. This winter, we haven't had a ton of snow. That's a cause for concern for, for some people, but it feels as though it's been really gosh darn cold. Have we, have we been missing? calculating that or has it just been a normal winter on that front? No, I, I think it certainly has been, uh, particularly the last four weeks, guys. Come on. I mean, 23 of the, of the in the last 26 days, 23 of those have given you a temperature of, of below minus 20. And, and that, that's even, that's a raw day by any standards in, in Canada. The only day that you got actually in the last, I think, uh, nearly month and, and a bit uh, was on Valentine's Day. People actually warmed it up where you got actually to about 0.3 of a degree uh, for about a half hour. and But it's really been uh, difficult. For example, particularly in February, uh, uh, you know, it, you'd have to go back. It's probably the coldest February so far in 10 years. I mean, uh, one measure of it is days below minus 20. You've had 17 of those suckers where you normally would see about 10. And you're right. The snowfall totals, you haven't been doing a lot of pushing and shoveling and plowing. It's about only about 70% of the snowfall. I mean, that you're right. That's a concern for farmers, but certainly for flood forecasters, they're probably delighted the fact that it doesn't look like it's going to be a, a worry. This, uh, although one good spring storm could change that, but but you're right. I mean, it's not been. Uh, uh, there've been moments. Uh, uh, January was actually warmer than normal, uh, and so it hasn't been brutal right from Halloween till likely Easter. And uh, and we think things are. You're gaining about three or four minutes a day, so uh, that's good news. But um, it, um, I think it's uh, looking like it's going to uh, to to warm up. Now, Dave, we have about sixty seconds left here. Yeah. The uh, when it warms up, sometimes that also brings a lot of snow with it. Are we in danger of seeing a whole bunch of snow over the next little while? Well, 
you know, you get at this time of year, I wouldn't put away the snow shovel because about 30% of your annual snowfall occurs from this moment on. And uh, so, and sometimes that uh, when it warms up a bit, the air holds more moisture. It can give you that kind of Paul Bunyan snowfall. But hey, we're not seeing anything for the next week. Uh, and we're seeing uh, uh, clearly some normal to warmer than normal temperatures going ahead. So I think things are things are looking up, guys. You've weathered the, the worst of it and uh, and without any flood. But, you know, we need to, to bring some kind of spring rains for, for growers and backyard gardeners. That's It's kind of a, a critical situation in parts of southern Manitoba. I could feel the sun on the back of my neck when you mentioned oh. gardening and uh, thinking about cutting <laughs> the grass. Beer Thank- drinking, yes, I <laughs> tell you. It's, uh, things are looking up. Thank you, David. We always appreciate your time, your access, and your uh, colorful language to uh, uh, talk about the weather. Thank you, sir. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. All right, Dave Phillips, Senior Climatologist for Environment Canada. I was born in a small town And I live in a small town We're going to take a trip east down the Trans-Canada Highway to the intersection of Highway 12 to St. Anne, Manitoba. We're going to visit with uh, Town Councillor Yvonne St. Vincent. Yvonne joins us from St. Anne. Good morning, Yvonne. Good morning. How are you today, my friend? I'm very good. A little tired, but doing good. (laughs) Uh, Yvonne, of course, uh, Councillor for St. Anne. St. Anne, home to two of the three Manitobans on Canada's women's uh, Olympic hockey team who fell at the hands of the Americans last night in a shootout. So you're up a little bit late watching the game, were you, Yvonne? Yes, there's about 100 of us or so at the curling rink uh, taking in the game, trying to cheer them on. So, yeah, it was a great night. So what time did the party start? Oh, people started showing up at around nine, and then um, of course with the overtime and the shootout, we went uh, we went quite late. So yeah, it was it was fun though. Bailey Bram and uh, Jocelyn LaRocque, uh, the pride of Saint Anne, Manitoba, uh, both of them right now. Is there something in the water out there that would have a community the size of Saint Anne uh, produce two Olympians like this? Uh, and never mind at the very same time uh, in their in over history, it would be impressive to do this. Yeah, there's no no doubt. Um, I think, uh, I mean, like any small Canadian rural town, um, you know, the hockey rink is where everything starts and ends. It's our t- it's our town hall, right? And uh, we're just extremely fortunate that these two ladies have uh, have had a chance to do this together. There's actually another young lady named Melanie Gagnon who centralized with Team Canada even before these two did. Um, she never made it to an Olympic Games, but I believe played in some world championships. So, so really, in the short amount of time, we've, we've had three ladies represent uh, Canada at different stages. So, what was the level of emotion like, or what was the emotion like at the end of the game when the yeah, Americans yeah. were victorious? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's, uh, uh, you know, they went there for gold, obviously, and and I think that so we, you know, we feel we feel for them. We're but at the same time. Um, you know, uh, everyone's dream is to win any Olympic medal. So I, I think I think qu- it quickly turned into a, uh, a celebration of their silver for sure. Evan St. Vincent joining us from St. Anne, where he's a counselor, attended the curling club last night, watching uh, the gold medal game at the uh, the Olympics, featuring two two former residents and uh, homegrown talents uh, from St. Anne. You mentioned the fact that the arena is sort of the unofficial center of town, and I think that's uh, pretty commonplace. What about in the summertime, Yvan? Uh, there must be some sports that are a big deal in your part of the world uh, at that time of year. Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, like again, like every other small town, there's a lot of uh, soccer, baseball, some golf that goes on. 
Um, we're, we're a growing community all the time, so there's more and more going on. And uh, but but I think uh, you know the, the we we just kill time in the summer waiting for the hockey season to start. <laughs> uh, hey, Greg, you mentioned golf. They've got Oakwood uh, Golf Course down there on uh, Highway One. I quite enjoy going to Oakwood. Um, now, as far as uh, I have a reason to go to St. Anne, just mention it, Oakwood. But uh, what are some other reasons that uh, people might want to head down the Highway One to visit St. Anne if you're coming from one of Yeah, you know, sure. Like like I said, it's a uh, we're we're growing quite a bit. We're one of the fastest growing towns in the Manitoba in, on, in the last census. Um, we have our probably the the, big, the biggest the couple biggest aspects of Santa Ana is we have our own police department, so it's an extremely safe community, and uh, we have a thriving hospital which which meets a lot of needs from a lot of people in this area. So those are healthcare and and uh, and police enforcement are probably our two biggest strengths that we have going here right now. I mentioned Oakwood Golf Course. Across the street on Highway 1 from Oakwood was Cottonwood Golf Course, which I believe was sold. What's going on there? Uh, it's funny you say that. I'm really good friends with the uh, one of the former owners of Cottonwood, and we went by there this summer and we saw bales of hay everywhere, so I guess not much is going on there. Well, that's too bad. It's such a neat, such a neat course. Lots of trees at Cottonwood. Uh, I used to love golfing there once upon a time. Yeah, yeah it's been sold. I, I mean, yeah, in it, in in its heyday. I, I'm not sure. I've heard a lot of stories that it, the bank owns it and all kinds of things. So I'm not totally sure. Um, but yeah, in its heyday, it was it was one of the premier courses out this way for sure. Well, as we, we talk about growing communities, you, you mentioned the fact that St. Anne is on that list, and uh, uh, you gave us a real general overview of life in St. Anne. Yvonne, thank you for this. We really appreciate your time. It's great to get to know a little bit more about St. Anne, and, and congratulations on the silver medal for Jocelyn LaRock and Bailey Bram. Imagine you'll be having a big party for them at some point in the next few weeks. But, yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, St. Anne now owns two silvers and one gold medal. It's pretty cool. All right. Hey, Councillor, thank you so much for joining us. The Small Town Salute. We have been speaking with Yvonne St. Vincent, Councillor for St. Anne. And uh, the reason why we went to St. Anne today, there was a big viewing party at the Curling Club for the women's gold medal hockey game. The uh, women, Canadian women lost to the Americans 3-2 in a shootout. And, Greg, we're, we're just learning of another Canadian disappointment at the hands of our friends south of the border. Yes, uh, Team USA is defeated. Team Canada, Kevin Cooey falling to the Americans in the semifinal in Pyeongchang. That means that Canada will go up against Switzerland for a bronze medal. So in a sport where Canada can usually expect a couple of gold medals, a gold, a silver, some combination thereof, the best we can do is to come home with one bronze. The worst would be to come home with zero medals whatsoever in women's and men's curling combined. One, two, three. Time for Chanelie Vidal's cue. Three things today. And is it three things that have to do with food? It is. I know. I talked about three things that have to do with food yesterday. (laughs) I thought it was in a time warp. I know, but... I found uh, some more interesting facts, so we're going to do food again. Okay. All right. Well, lunchtime. Feed us. <laughs> it is our lunchtime. Feed I'm... us with information, Shannon. I am. Okay, so I have to ask you, do you have a hard time uh, eating up all of your vegetables? Yes. You know, yeah. maybe some things in particular like broccoli? That implies that I actually eat vegetables. <laughs> Jerry's behind the glass going, no, I don't have any broccoli. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> not at all. Uh, and So a new study by the University of Guelph is suggesting a link between the genetic 
six underlying taste buds and whether a preschooler will show an aversion to bitter vegetables such as broccoli. Awesome. I can blame my parents. <laughs> this is great. Keep reading. And get this. The study also suggests a link between genetics and having a sweet tooth. Oh, this is so good. I like this. Or being partial to snacks rich in fat. I know myself, I have a huge sweet tooth, whereas my mom, not really so much the sweet tooth, but loves the salty things like the potato chips. All right, okay. So I I do believe that some of us do have a a sweet tooth and others have like a fat tooth or a salt tooth or whatever you want to call it. I'm more of a salt tooth guy, but occasionally I get a chocolate milk tooth, which is really bad when that happens. (laughs) Chocolate milk and chips, salt and vinegar chips and Chocolate milk? No, just chocolate milk. That's a nasty combo. No, no chips. No chips. It's just <laughs> oh. the chocolate milk. Well, you know, it's, you know the best thing? Just dip your dip your fries in your chocolate shake. That is the, the best yeah. treat. Hey, hey, Wendy's Frosty on yes. a bacon cheeseburger oh, no. so good. You lost me a bacon. But, uh, <laughs> so anyways, uh, so the lead researcher, Eli Shamoon, says 47 children under age 5 were tested for three taste-related genetic variants, which were correlated with the types of foods they like to eat. And the study found that almost half the youngsters had the genetic variant linked to a sweet tooth, and they tended to consume more high-sugar high snacks. Hmm. Yeah. I think this is a study we need to investigate a little bit more. <laughs> I, I like the sounds of it. I think so. So ready for number two? Yes, yes please. Number two is some good news for the Canadian beef industry. All quarantines imposed on prairie farms and ranches due to a few cases of bovine tuberculosis have now been lifted. I saw this last night. Agriculture Minister Lawrence McCauley says no new cases of the infectious disease has have been found and Canada reta- retains its trade status without disruption to international beef markets. Now, bovine tuberculosis was found on an Alberta ranch back in 2016. A total of six cattle from that herd, herd tested positive for the same strain of the respiratory disease and more than 30,000 cattle were tested after the Canadian Food Inspection Agency imposed quarantines on 170 ranches and farms in Alberta, Saskatchewan, and right here in Manitoba. And Ottawa says it paid out $39 million in compensation to producers for the 11,500 animals that unfortunately had to be destroyed. Yeah, you know, that just shows, I know people get a little bit wonky about things and, and concerned when you hear stories like this, but I think it proves that for the most part, our food inspection agencies are doing their job. Oh, I absolutely agree. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it's it's a bad news, good news sort of situation. I know. Now this third thing has to do with a, with with a, an animal who is how did you put it, Brett? On the moon? Yes. <laughs> Okay, so this one is another bovine story about a really, really determined cow. So a local governor in Poland says a cow that escaped while being taken to a slaughterhouse is still avoiding capture. still out there. Still out there, <laughs> even though the order to kill it has been cancelled. So it is a red limousine beef cow that fled last month and it's gained celebrity status as it defends for its life and freedom, Freedom. roaming through a lake-filled region near Nisa in the southwest part of the country. Governor Chesla Billibrand said Wednesday the cow is, and I quote, cunning and clever and uses the difficult terrain to trick the search group. And it's going around swimming from island to island. Go cow, go (laughs) cow. And so 
when the cow is finally caught, it's uh, going to be placed in a local animal reserve. Nice. <laughs> so Billabrin actually told the Associated Press that it is so brave and strong-headed that we decided to keep it. Yeah. So I, I, it's a great story. I love that cow. I'd love to meet that cow, actually. I'm surprised. Does the cow have, like, a name that's been given on I social media or anything? I, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, if this cow is so determined to stay alive. You, you've got to respect its thoughts I want to call this. him Flash. Flash, that's pretty good. Right on. You go, cow. You go. Chandelier Vidal, thank you very much. <laughs> Sounded like Eddie Van Halen for about three seconds there. Oh, I can't tell. No, I can't tell if you're impressed or upset. Anytime you can dig up anything closely related to Van Halen, I'm impressed. Who is this? It's Pat Boone. <laughs> <laughs> if you're just tuning in, Jerry has been playing Pat Boone covers of metal songs throughout the morning. And uh, Greg's favorite band is Van Halen. So there you go. She's coming In the turn, I'll get up. What, uh, what's the name of the album again? Behind the Glass, Jerry? No more Mr. Nice Guy in a metal mood. That's that great. Is, I love that it. That is fantastic. Thanks, Jerry. Always good to have a good giggle. Uh, this is a story that you and I spoke about on our afternoon show when it was first announced back in July 2017. The idea of back in angled parking in the, I guess it's the East Exchange along Bannatine uh, Avenue. Winnipeg public service officials want to make that parking permanent on Bannatine. And now they're looking to give the congru- I love the word of the use of this word congruent the <laughs> congruent blocks or parallel blocks of McDermott the same treatment given the trial runs success if the request goes forward McDermott would become a one-way street eastbound between Rory and Waterfront and would add nine more parking spots in a statement local councilor Mike Pagdiken says he supports further parking being converted to this format, officials say the change has not slowed traffic in the area and provides a more effective use of space, especially given the upcoming loss of parking spaces as bike lanes are added along both McDermott and Bannatyne this summer. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. The city is also adding more parking in the exchange district by adjusting its loading zones to provide 33 additional daytime spaces and four evening spaces. The potential to add further angled parking is up for debate on Tuesday at City Hall's Standing Policy Committee on Infrastructure Renewal and Public Works. It was interesting. I was watching Global News at 6 last night, and they were doing this story <laughs> in two separate pieces of video. Uh, the first one, an individual is backing into this parking spot, had come the wrong way, 
okay. down Bannatyne because Bannatyne, as part of this project, was converted to a one-way. And then about nine seconds later, a separate piece of video showed someone just driving down Bannatyne in the opposite direction of the one-way. So this hasn't been seamless. This hasn't been without hiccups. But I think for the most part, and I've done my best to use this parking whenever I can because I'm a really strong advocate of it. It's a super easy way to park. People are, you know, not super good at at parallel parking. This kind of splits the difference, right? Because you don't have to do a full parallel. You only have to kind of turn the corner about, you know, 33 degrees and and, uh, back in. Seems to be working. Sounds as though uh, the complaints were limited and thus the idea of expanding this. Uh, I really like it. Have you used it? I have, yeah. That's a piece of cake. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, I've only been, I think, up Bannatyne twice since they started it. I rarely uh, have a need to go through downtown. The, I used to occasionally drive through downtown when I'd be coming home from my parents uh, in Transcona over to uh, to Corden, but I usually go around up up Marion. So I rarely find myself driving through downtown. Never mind that need to park downtown. So it doesn't. It kind of. It's kind of a take it or leave it thing for me because I don't use it, don't need it, but I am all in favor of anything that puts more parking spots on the street downtown because the odd time I do need parking downtown, sometimes it can be a challenge. I don't know how many other arteries they could implement this on. I mean, if you see pictures of old downtown Winnipeg, they used to have angled parking, drive-in angled parking, of course, on Portage Avenue once upon a time. And my grandfather always used to say, why don't they bring that back? Angled parking on Portage Avenue. Well, Portage has become, to a great extent, uh, a thoroughfare, an expressway that you move very slowly on. The idea is is to have people, you know, be able to park and shop at the at the locations they can park right in front of. Unfortunately, there aren't as many uh, desirable locations for shopping as we'd like to see on Portage Avenue. And I think the day has come and gone. They eliminated an entire lane on on Portage Avenue, but I'd like to see this in as many places as possible. I think it could be a genuine solution to the shortage of parking in downtown. And a lot of people say, well, the city would like that too, because that's more metered spots, more tickets they can hand out, translate into more parking revenue and more ticket revenue. Yeah. And the, the, the counter of course, to, well, if there, if you need parking or you can't find parking on the street, just use one of the many, Parking lots that are available, which, hey, that's fair, but I, you know, I think I told a story of a few weeks back when I went to see Come From Away on a Sunday afternoon at Royal MTC, and I looked for a spot on the street to no avail, and I tried to park in the parking lot right next to the MTC to no avail, and I found another parking lot where it would have been six bucks, but the I didn't have the appropriate change. I was expecting it to be a, one of those digital meters where I could pop in a credit card, but no, it required loonies and quarters, and I had six dollars and toonies, so that didn't help. So I ended up having to go into a, a, a parkade that cost fourteen dollars, I think. So that's a, that's a pretty penny for parking, and if I can find a spot on the street, yeah, I'm gonna find. I'll, I'm happy to drive around for 10, 15 minutes it looking for a sure spot on the street. Would, no kidding. And we had the discussion about the possibility of eliminating the the number of parking meters on the street, maybe to eventually have none. I think we're years and years away from that, quite possibly. But 
you know, some sort of, let's use the word congruent, some sort of congruent system between the parking meters on the street and the private parking where you know what to expect no matter where you park and and to be able to pay with a credit card in a simple fashion. I think it might be time for Impark and these other private companies to do what the city's done. Can you believe this? I'm encouraging private enterprise to copy and mimic what the city is doing. I think they should probably start creating their own apps where you can pay easily on your on your smartphone for your parking I, you know I I don't like the baiting that goes on with some of these private lots some of them right you come in you stay you do whatever you have to do and then you pay based on the amount of time that you were there but some of them will have you try and anticipate how long you're going to be there yeah like a parking meter and if you're at a doctor's appointment in particular inevitably either one of two things is going to happen you're going to overestimate so you don't get a ticket or you're going to underestimate and, you know, you get sent for a test or something, you don't have time to go back and extend the amount of time on that meter, on that spot, and you get a ticket. So I'd like, just like to see some sort of normalcy within that whole realm, whether it's private or public. I'd love to hear from you on that. 204-780-6868 is the number to text. And also, let us know if there are any decent spots downtown where you think angled parking would work. Right now, it's only on Bannertine between Waterfront and Rory. They're looking to expand it. The same block on McDermott from Rory to Waterfront. Let us know. 204-780-6868. Also, uh, behind the glass, Jerry, before we forget, who won our prize today? Robert Zentner. Robert Zentner. Congratulations, Robert Zentner. You have won yourself a family four-pack of tickets to Disney on Ice. Presents Frozen at Bell MTS Place, March 8th to the 11th. That's when that is happening. And uh, Robert knew what, Greg Mackling? That Jocelyn LaRock and Bailey Bram both hail from St. Anne, Manitoba. They were our feature community on Small Town Salute today in honor of last night's gold medal match between Canada and the United States. A, a big gathering at the St. Anne Curling Club last night uh, to see eventually Canada fall in a shootout to the United States. Another thing we've been lamenting this morning, curling. And the fact that our men's and women's teams at best will come home with a combined bronze medal. I've got a text message here from Lance who's suggesting, please stop inferring Canadian Olympic curling lacks impressiveness. They are impressive to have attained this level of competition. When will we realize the rest of the curling world is catching up and surpassing our level or standard of impressiveness? Remember, we've taught them to attain those levels to be competitive with us. Fred McGarry, Greg Mackling, Behind the Glass Jerry, Chandelier Vidal. Good morning. If you're just tuning in, we've been talking a lot this morning, as it turns out, about sleep. <laughs> and uh, maybe it's because uh, we we secretly need some. I don't know. But mm. we began the day talking about this sleepwalking story that Christian O'Mell spotted out of Greensburg, Pennsylvania, where a Pennsylvania middle school canceled classes after a sleepwalking student was found inside the building. Police were called around 2.30 in the morning. Seventh grade student uh, told authorities he'd been sleepwalking and woke up inside the school. Student entered the school through a window and wandered around for about 15 minutes. He lives about four miles from the school, by the way. So naturally, there was some suspicion as to whether or not he got caught and just, oh, I was sleepwalking. I don't remember how I got here. But we also then talked about how People do some really crazy things. I have 
I used to sleepwalk when I was a kid, and I am pretty sure that a couple of times in the past decade or so that uh, there has been evidence that I was sleepwalking. But I have not done anything like that. But people do. You just Google crazy sleepwalking stuff, and you'll find all sorts of weird stories. I think we all know the terminology at the very least sleepwalking and probably most of us know somebody that's done it have you ever heard of a sleep divorce and our new report says that a sleep divorce could actually save your marriage yeah and we i this is one of those things where i think a lot of couples think that just looking at the idea of having separate beds as being the end of the relationship oh i don't want to do that that's there goes the romance that you, because they think of people as they get older who suddenly sleep in uh, different beds, that that's the beginning of the end. But this research indicates that maybe it will actually help your relationship. You know, when we think of unconventional or antiquated marital sleeping arrangements, this is a story at globalnews.ca, by the way. Uh, when we think of unconventional arrangements, images of Lucy and Ricky Ricardo sleeping in their separate beds might pop to mind. I remember Mary Tyler Moore and Dick Van Dyke had single beds on the Dick Van Dyke show. I used to watch that show with my mom once upon a time, and that that seemed like such a foreign idea even in the late 60s. I must have been the early 70s. Yeah, and as it turns out, just as an aside on that subject, if you think that a single bed isn't a whole lot of room, when you put two singles together, you get a king. So if you, you do, yeah. So if you share a queen, you're at, you have less room on half of a queen than a single bed mattress. You're always teaching me stuff. So according to a study out of Ryerson University's Sleep and Depression Laboratory in Toronto, 30 to 40% of Canadian couples sleep in different Come beds. Come on. I find that result shocking. <laughs> Add to that a poll conducted by the U.S. National Sleep Foundation that found nearly one in four couples sleeps in separate beds or rooms, and the fact that there's been a rise in the request for double master bedroom homes. I didn't even know that was a thing. I, you know how closely I pay attention to trends in building and yeah. renovations? Never, ever heard of this. Yeah, so it all wow. points to a trend for separate sleeping quarters, and it's referred to as sleep <laughs> divorce. But its effects could have the exact opposite on your marriage. Well, think about when you first hooked up. Yep. Right? That was always a point of contention. Was there the sleepover? Yep. Was the sleepover over implied? <laughs> I mean, of course, uh, most of us didn't uh, get around to this until after we were married. But, you know, for those of you that might have indulged in certain things before you were married, <laughs> that, was part, that was part of the conversation, right? Was whether or not there was going to be the sleepover. Yep. And quite often, that was the make it or break it mm -hmm. in your relationship, right? Could you manage to spend the night and then the weekend? And if you really think about it, it kind of goes downhill from there. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So in terms of this conversation, it, it kind of makes sense that it may be reinvigorating certain parts of your marriage. Well, for what well, is that one thing, absence makes the heart grow fonder, as it were. Mm -hmm. So, But there's also that... Uh, uh, 
Betty Stockley, a Toronto-based registered psychotherapist, says there's nothing wrong with sleeping apart, especially if one partner snores or tosses and turns a lot and prevents the other from getting a good night's sleep. In cases like this, it's actually better to sleep apart. And she says when you consider that sleep deprivation has been linked to a host of negative health outcomes, including mood changes and low sex drive, it's pretty clear that a good night's sleep, regardless of how it's achieved, will benefit your relationship with your partner. Mm-hmm. So there, there's more layers to this onion, right? When you peel it back, as opposed to our original response, at least mine was, come on, yep. this many people, maybe these are the enlightened people of the world that are having this conversation. A double master bedroom? Yeah. I, wow. That's an interesting thing. I didn't. You, I never have heard of it, never mind heard of the fact that there's a trend for this. Now, a lot of couples as well say that they sleep better when they share a bed, but research has shown that isn't necessarily true. People will say, and this is a quote now from Colleen Carney, who is director of the Ryerson Sleep Laboratory, people will say they sleep better together, but when we actually monitor their brains, we see their brain is not getting into deeper stages of sleep because they're continuously being woken up by movement or sound, and that creates a lot of problems. And Greg, uh, not to throw your relationship under the spotlight, but you're getting up a lot earlier than your partner, than Jackie. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so I modify the way I would normally uh, get dressed, turn on lights. So if I ever show up with two different shoes or two different colored socks, that's why, (laughs) because I'm trying to be considerate. Uh, I would never, you know, want to go down that road. I mean, I'm a snorer and all that sort of stuff. So uh, maybe uh, we might be moving. I mean, this might be a really good idea, the idea of this double master bedroom. It's really... it's a conversation I think that more people need to have because we I underrate as a society the value of sleep. We had the discussion about the value of a nap and how many people turn their noses up at the idea. You're going to have a nap? Where? When? In the middle of the day? You can't do that. That's preposterous. Well, it's actually really good for you. And y- y- employers might actually get more out of their employees if they would give them the opportunity to do these things in the middle of the afternoon. And this might be the equivalent in terms of a marriage, the idea idea of taking a little bit of a break and maybe sleeping sleeping separately. You don't have to do it every night. I know for me, if I get to bed by 7.30, two nights a week, right, in this crazy schedule that we're under, if I get, if I can get like eight solid hours, a couple of nights a week, it really benefits me. Well, yeah, and, but the, that's the thing. You're, you're saying a couple of nights a week. It wouldn't it be nice to have it every night. And actually, here's, an, here's a perfect example on just how important sleep is because eventually it catches up to you if you're not getting it, and it's a personal example. Last Friday, I uh, often, I don't generally nap during the day. I don't like to because I often oversleep. Uh, but And on Friday, sometimes I just stay up until 10, 11, 12 o'clock and then go to bed and try to have kind of a normal schedule over the weekend. So last Friday, I was fine. I was awake. 5.30 p.m. rolls around, and it's just out of nowhere. I got to lie down. I'm so tired. So I lied down. I set my cell phone alarm for 6.15 p.m. and 6.30. I just wanted to have a quick power nap and then enjoy my evening and then go to bed. So my first alarm goes off at 6.15. I swat that away. 6.30 goes off. I remember it going off, but I don't remember how I dealt with it. The next thing I know, and I'm, I'm lying on top of my blanket, still dressed, or like wearing sweatpants and still wearing, and my contacts are still in. Then my alarm clock goes off. And when I finally woke up and realized, hey, that's my alarm clock, 
why is my alarm clock going off? I didn't change my alarm clock, which makes me realize it's 2.30 in the morning. I slept until 2.30 in the morning, and then I got up, took my contacts out, and went back to bed for another six hours. That is a personal record for me as an adult. Wow. That's 15 hours in bed. My record as a... As a, a living person was 17 hours when I was 17 years old after I pulled my first all-nighter for a school project. Oh, yeah. there was a good reason behind the yeah, all-nighter. I was procrastinating on an essay that I had to write for uh, Larry Petko for English class. Yeah, that never, ever happens. Uh, got this great text here from one of our listeners. I'm going to save his identity. My wife sleeps on the couch all the time. Oh, wait, that's me. <laughs> you can send us your feedback, 204-780-6868. You can also call us at 204-780-6868 on the idea of sleeping in separate beds. Do you think it's a good idea, bad idea? What about separate blankets? Talking about sleep, sleepwalking earlier in the show, and now a sleep divorce. Should you get a sleep divorce and sleep in separate quarters? Linda is at 204-780-6868. And Linda, I understand you do, in fact, sleep in a separate bed. Yeah, actually, separate rooms. How uh, how long have you been doing that? Oh, probably, I want to say, a good four or five years now. Why? Um, because I have a husband who works. Sometimes he's up at 4, 4 o'clock in the morning. Other times he's out of town and he's gone for long periods of time. And we just find that it's very difficult to try to get back into the sleep um schedule. I work full-time, he works full-time, and we just found it really does work better and best for us. Um, We're happily married after 25 years, and it works fine for us. You sound as though you have a delightful and a very sunny disposition, Linda. So clearly this is working on on some levels. So uh, what made what was the tipping point for you? And, and was it difficult to make that that choice? And like, do you have house parties? And do, do people know that is this breaking news for your friends and family? If 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 uh, we want to call it that. No, it's not breaking news. Um, <laughs> Uh, our our children at first were very kind of like, what's going on, mom and dad? Like, why aren't you sleeping in the same bed? Of course, that stigma, like you're married, you should be sleeping in the same room. And, you know, we explained like, you guys, you know, your dad has gone a lot and, you know, he snores and there's some other issues. We'll, we'll just, well, the word flatulence comes up. And... <laughs> And I just have said, I have said over the years, okay, that's it. If you don't behave, you're going to be banished from the kingdom. Well, Linda, thank you so much for sharing with us. And you can text us at 204-780-6868. I think we're about to find out how uptight I really am. Why is that, Greg? Well, you know, I have a little bit of a reputation amongst my friends and family. I don't really drink a lot. And uh, if we go anywhere by vehicle and I've got my kids, I will not drink. And so, uh, but I have this alter ego. My wife calls me and now the friends have started calling me Fun Bobby, a, a, a tribute to a character on Friends once upon a time. <laughs> when I have a few beverages, I loosen up a little bit. But there is a line for me and we may have found it this morning uh, with our next guest, Dixie Cups. Brett? Yes, it's uh, the Winnipeg International Burlesque 
Festival, and it's the Cabin Fever Burlesque Showcase. So in studio, we have with us the producer and founder of the Winnipeg International Burlesque Festival, Dixie Cups. Dixie, Good morning, welcome. guys. Do Hi. We, do we call you Miss Cups or uh, what? <laughs> you can call me Dixie. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So the uh, the Winnipeg Burlesque Festival, the International Burlesque Festival. Well, before we get to the festival, how long have you been doing burlesque? I've been doing burlesque proper for about four years, but um, I have a history of being very interested in burlesque. I've always sort of known there was something just around the corner, just behind the curtain that was a little tantalizing and um i have a history of having been an entertainer in bars for quite a few years and when i left that for my next career i really missed it and i really felt like there was a huge void in my life and i was looking to fill it so so maybe for those that don't understand the line maybe between striptease or or you know exotic dancing and burlesque maybe you could uh, paint a picture for us in terms of uh, of the of the differences Okay, well, it does make sense that um, there's that natural uh, urge to draw the comparison, right? So they're both dance-based performance arts. They're both over 18. They both have a reputation. However, after that, things get a little different. Like, what is socially acceptable and expected on stage in, for instance, a strip club is completely different than what you're going to see on stage at a burlesque show. I mean, we all have bodies, that's true. We all have our little bits and pieces. But um, in burlesque, we've got pasties covering up a lot of those bits and pieces. And um, it's really about the tease and the thought-provoking provo- uh, kind of performance that we're doing. We're really looking to challenge boundaries and stigma and bring out something that's completely unexpected. And that has definitely worked in the past for our shows. Well, and it's more about the show as as opposed to, I mean, for any any guy who's been to, uh, you know, the exotic entertainment, you know, you might remember, recall a DJ coming on saying, all right, boys, who's ready to see some naked time or something <laughs> like that? It's, it sounds seedy because it kind of is, really, when you put it in those terms. But burlesque is more about the, the, the show, uh, the showcase, right? Yeah, yeah. Instead of having the DJ who's like, do you want to go faster? We're not at the X. (laughs) Instead, we have a fantastic MC named Heather Witherden. And she's a comedian here in Winnipeg. And she is amazing. And that's our MC. So, and this is a timeless art, right? This goes back, uh, yes. you know, hundreds of years, really, right? To the, the Old West days and my favorite movie, Tombstone, kind of plays homage to to uh, burlesque to a certain extent in as part of the storyline. But this is something that's been around for a long time. It's a, a time-honored art. Absolutely. Thank you for putting it like that. And we're looking to really reclaim that name, burlesque, and we're looking to reclaim that art form and draw those lines, Like, we're aware that there's the parallels, but we want to draw the lines that show the difference. And also, like you said, it has been around forever. And if you go a little bit closer, you know, in wartime in the 30s, you know, there was the pain of war. There was then the hunger of the dirty 30s where there's nothing. People needed a distraction. They needed something to live for, something to build morale. And that's what really made another resurgence in burlesque. And then laws also help dictate what we can and can't do. And eventually it was like, ooh, whoops, my dress fell off. (laughs) 
you know? <laughs> and then it was like, okay, well, if your dress is going to fall off, you need some pasties on, right? And grab yourself a boa to cover up some other bits and pieces, you know? Right, right. So things have changed. And I think what's changed dramatically, Brett mentioned the idea of going to see exotic dancing. I mean, that was exclusively men only, unless it was... <clears throat> You know, you had the male dancers, and so, and then it was essentially uh, women only. But you're telling me that you have a very interesting mix of men and women who come to your come to your performances. Oh yeah, I've got men, I've got women, but I've got everything in between as well. I want to make that clear. <laughs> and um, people come as couples. Really, this is like a fun thing to do as a couple, and nobody's going to be hurt or offended in a way that they take home into their relationship. This is just about fun. It's about provoking thought. It's about laughing together and seeing something a little sexy and not feeling judged because you're really not being compared to something that's unattainable. You're being compared to someone you walk next to on the street. Like, you don't know who's a burlesque performer until you come out and check this show out. Well, our guest is Dixie Cups. She is the producer and founder of the Winnipeg International Burlesque Festival. The website is winburlesquefest.ca. And this Friday, February 23rd at the Park Theatre, it's Cabin Fever Burlesque Showcase. And you mentioned that couples go to the show. I'm just picturing myself in a relationship and saying, Honey... Uh, what are you doing on Friday? Do you want to go out to a burlesque show? I feel like I'm just asking for trouble by initiating that conversation. Well, I actually ran a promo um, leading up to Valentine's Day, which suggested, like, why don't you buy your honey some <laughs> tickets and have some fun, right? Um, I think it probably depends on how you present that to your partner. You could just say, hey, I heard about a really cool show. You want to check out something fun and different? I've got a surprise date for you, honey. Like, there's lots of little ways you could do that without having to say, uh, let's go to a burlesque show. But really, you could also just say, hey, I heard there's a burlesque show in town, and let's check that out. And you can go on the website and check out some fantastic pictures. We've got a couple promo videos. You can see a little bit more of what you're expecting. Based on what you've been telling us off the air and on, though, uh, Dixie, I think the idea may be that you might uh, be as likely to be invited by your female partner, yeah. if you're a dude, uh, as the other way around, right? Because Absolutely. this is really catching on. I know I know couples who like to go to these things all the time, especially when they're traveling. They, they have a blast going to different bars and, and different performances like this. Like I said, I, I'm still, I'm very much something that... Uh, I know I won't be proposing anytime soon, but it it is something that is really uh, popular for a lot of people. It is, and you'll have another chance in the summer when we do the festival proper to uh, work yourself up between now and then. Where did you get the idea to do to start this festival? Um, well, Winnipeg, as most people probably know, seems to have a festival for absolutely everything in the summer, especially. We're very, very busy every week with things to do, but there was no burlesque festival here for some reason. And I saw this void and my friend and I, who was, uh, she helped me co-found this and she's living in Edmonton, so she's no longer helping me out with the festival. But we went together to Vegas and we checked out the World Burlesque Hall of Fame weekend and we were just blown away. And that started, believe it or not, in a goat farm in the middle of the desert. <laughs> and they built it into a show that is running in Vegas. So I thought... Okay, those were some humble beginnings. If they can do it, there must be some space here in Winnipeg for this type of culture. 
And boy, there really was. And now um, there are several other people putting on shows. I think there's been three other producers besides myself who put on shows over the last couple of years. It's really a, a booming community now. Well, it uh, just goes to prove once again that Winnipeg is far more cosmopolitan than we give it credit for at times, right? <laughs> yeah. Who's performing? Like, what, what kinds of people are performing in burlesque? Um, that's that's a good question. So I actually have got people doing chair dances. I've got people doing pole work. I have aerial performers. I have group dance performers. I have boylesque or brolesque, depending what you want to call it. Oh, both, uh-huh. both clever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very clever. Yeah. <laughs> and then I also have uh, solo act. So that's... It runs the gamut. Um, some of our performers this time have performed in past shows, and those are, you know, burlesque favorites of Winnipeg. Come out and see your favorite folks again. And then I've also got some brand new performers that nobody's seen before. And how does body image come into play in burlesque? So happy you asked that. Um, in my opinion, burlesque changes body image uh, expectations. So... Like I mentioned earlier about not feeling judged, perhaps, as a woman coming to a burlesque show, um, you don't feel like you have to look a certain way or measure up to a certain standard that's possibly unattainable. We're really looking to smash those stereotypes. We're looking to just blow them right out of the water. I, I don't think that in burlesque we should say this should or should not be on stage. It has to be art, of course. But after that, no. No. And as far as body image goes, I mean, we have people who are thin. We have people who are thick. We have people who are short, tall, male, female, something in between. I mean, this is so inclusive. It's a completely different type of art form, and it's so accepting. Um, And body image, like the positivity is what we really want to encourage in people, in performers and in audience. Well, it sounds like a fascinating event. WinBurlesqueFest.ca is the website. Where and when is the event? The event is actually tomorrow night, um, February 23rd, and it's at the Park Theatre at 698 Osborne. They've been Great helping venue. us out for four years. Yeah, they're, they're lovely. Absolutely. And um, doors open at 830, shows at 930. For general admission seating, it is rush seating, so we do recommend that you be there for that 8.30 call so that you can find yourself a good seat. And uh, VIP tickets are available up until tomorrow afternoon around 2 o'clock. So if you want VIP, it's $40. It comes with a light snack and premium seating, which means you're in the front rows or the booths by the bar. And um, Conveniently by the bar. Very conveniently by the bar, yes. I don't know if you've been to the park before, but there's not a lot of table seating. So if you want that... Sign up for VIP now. (laughs) Um, The other thing is that we are going to have a snap perfection photo booth set up. So please come dressed up to take some pictures. Maybe you can pose with one of your favorite performers. All right, Dixie Cups, thank you so much for telling us about Cabin Fever Burlesque Showcase happening tomorrow night, Park Theatre. Again, the website, Win Burlesque Fest. Win Burlesque Fest. Uh, Dixie Cups is the producer and founder of the Winnipeg International Burlesque Festival, which happens in the summer. And uh, thanks so much for coming in to tell us about this. Thank you. It's Pleasure been fun. to meet you. Take me down to the Paradise City where the grass is green and the girls are pretty. Take me on. Oh, we end the day the way we began it. Little Pat Boone. <laughs>
Expressing his metal side. Thanks for introducing <laughs> us to this, Jerry. I think Kathy's about to throw herself out the window, though. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Although, I'm mm-hmm. going to say this. I have a family connection who actually sang with Pat and helped record his metal. You've got to be kidding me. I'm not me. kidding you. I am not kidding you. My cousin Nancy, her sister Sandra, who live in Rochester, New York, have sung with Pat Boone for many years. Wow. Look at that. It's so Winnipeg, right? Yeah. You just play this random sort of, oh, yeah, I'm a friend, dude. I worked on that album. They pressed this button and that button. And then, yeah, I got another buddy who played the drums on that song. Exactly. Right? Yes. That's just the way it goes down. Take me down to the paradise city where the grass is green and the girls are pretty. Take me on. Take me down to the paradise city where the grass is green and the girls are pretty. Take me Thanks to... Behind the Glass Jerry, Shadow Lee Vidal, I'm Brett McGarry, he's Greg Mackling. Thank you for listening to 680 CJO. Take me on.